We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to episode 318 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films to TV to commercials to animation to documentaries to everything in between if there is such a thing how to get them made how to make them and how to try not to f it up in our very very humble opinion i'm giles alderson i'm a writer director and a producer and three day millionaire is out now on sky movies and prime go watch go support today's episode though we have on the fantastic director, editor, screenwriter, cinematographer and producer, Mark Jenkin. He wrote and directed the film Bait, which earned him a BAFTA award for outstanding debut by a British writer, director or producer. His debut film, Golden Burn, won him an award at the Celtic Film and Television Festival. And he followed that success with documentary shorts and low-budget features, including The Man Who Needed a Traffic Light. The Rabbit and The Lobsterman, a documentary on the life of Cornish playwright Nick Dark. His 2007 feature film The Midnight Drive is a moving film about parentage with an exceptional performance from Colin Holt, who worked with him in the camera department on bait. All of his films are either shot on 8mm or 16mm and he develops them by hand. And he is back with another one. This is titled Ennis Main. Don't be confused by the poster. It looks like Ennis Men. It's pronounced Ennis Main. And in Cornish, it means Stone Island. And this is his latest film, and it is fantastic. Really eerie, wonderful movie. Really about loneliness. His last film, Bait, was shot in black and white. This is shot in colour with rich reds and yellows. It's glorious. But the film is filled with disquieting, unsettling moments. Long, long shots. It's disturbing while these colours pop into your eyes. The film is set in 1973 on an uninhabited island off the Cornish coast where a wildlife volunteer, played by Mary Woodvine, uh, her daily observations of a rare flower turn into a metaphysical journey that forces her, as well as us, to question what is real and what is a nightmare. The film is produced by Denzel Monk and Film 4 and it has been sold by Protagonist Pictures and Ennis Main is in cinemas now. So do go support. Also, the cinematic DNA of Ennis Main, it's a season which is created by our wonderful Mark Jenkins, runs at the BFI South Bank until the 31st of January, uh, basically showing selected films and Jenkins' own short collection available on the BFI player now. Mark also composed the score for this film, and that's out now, uh, on Invader Records and on vinyl on the 24th of February. So if you like this eerie, wonderful sound, then go collect that and have it in your eardrums the whole time. So myself and Mark sat down at the BFI itself, the British Film Institute. We sat in their green room and had a chat all about what filmmaking means to him and what success brought to him after bait why they brought on film four to finance ennis main why did he shoot on film and not digital what it's like for him working with actors going through development hell and what his inspirations and passions are we also talk about why most of his edit decisions are made before the shoot or on set not afterwards and why simplicity is key a huge Huge thank you to all those who listened to last week's episode, uh, The Film Business Explained, our new strand on The Filmmakers Podcast. We're going to do this every month, especially after how successful it's been. Uh, Stephen Follows, 
is our main man on that. If you haven't listened yet, uh, listen after this one. You'll learn about why directors might make a second film or third film or not. Uh, it's fantastic. Like I say, thank you so much for your support this week. Shout-outs uh, go to, not just uh, last week, but over Christmas as well, the fantastic actor Ronan Summers, Annabelle Knight, Tim Old, Brendan Cleves, Philip Pugh, Dan Robbins, Colin Gowdy, Aleem Hussain, Steve Isles, Jewel Jessenberger, and Mark Hampton. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for listening uh, and supporting and shouting out your love. Now, if you want to shout out, all you have to do, <laughs> all you have to do is give us some love on any social media platform of your choice and we will spot it write your name down and give you a shout out that is the plan anyway and you can find us on our socials or email us thefilmmakerspodcast at gmail.com and there is an amazing blog on last week's episode as well even more uh, breaking it down for you so you didn't have to write it down it is there on our blog thefilmmakerspodcast.com there it is check out the blogs and it's the latest one so let's get to this week's episode. Just to let you know, about 10-15 minutes in, we are joined by two members of the BFI. Jill Redding, who is doing all the PR for BFI and for Ennis Main, and the marketing manager Phil for BFI Distribution. Here it is. This is our episode with myself, Giles Alderson, and the fantastic director blazing a trail all across the indie filmmaking world. It is Mark Jenkin. Enjoy. Hey, how are you? Good. It must be feel great because Ennis Main is out now in cinemas. Yeah. And it should be the, the celebrated bit, but it can be very difficult. You've got all the promotion to do, the Q&A, but you've still got your film released, which must feel amazing, right? Yes, yeah, I think it's the really fun bit because there's no pressure on me now. I, you know, I can't, I can't change the film. <laughs> so, <laughs> too late. you know... I just have to go along and I'm reacting to an, to an audience, really. I mean, it's a bit of a slog doing the, the travel and everything. But actually, it isn't, you know, it's not, it's not hard work. It's a, it's a sort of pleasure and a, and a privilege to do it, really. Mm. I'll be reunited with Mary tonight. And Ed Rose, also in the film, mm -hmm. will be here this evening. And then I th Mary will do all of the Q&As with me this weekend. But actually, I'm doing two that are not, Ennis Main, they're films that I've programmed for the season here at the BFI around Ennis Main. So actually, they're intros and Q&As that I'm hosting. So it's going to be slightly different. Wow. Are these films that they like that inspired you or is it your yeah. films? Yeah, no, stuff that inspired me. Wow. So yeah, the BFI just gave me the opportunity to curate a season called the cinematic dna of ennis main which goes on for a month so we're, we're almost halfway through it, i suppose and i picked 12 12 feature films and then 12 shorts that are all either either influence an influence on me either formally or in terms of content or genre or style i suppose right. and uh yeah so i'm introducing two of those this weekend while i'm in london okay What's, what was it? I suppose that's something that's always a nice question is what was it that, you know, really inspired you? What's, what was your first cinematic love, I suppose? Um, when I was what? very, when I was young, right yeah, at the beginning. right at the beginning. Before I you know, I suppose I grew up, thought about filmmaking. I did grow up watching 1980s Hollywood kids films, really. Sure. So I was into things like everybody of my generation was. I was watching The Goonies and yeah. Ghostbusters and mm -hmm. Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. And all of all of that kind of stuff, but and you know, I always loved going to watch films. But I, it was seeing the mission was the big thing oh, wow. for me. Which was I never meant to go and see the mission. I meant to go and see Crocodile Dundee with my dad, <laughs> who was very excited about taking me to see this film that he'd heard all about. Yeah, of course, Crocodile Dundee was amazing. Yeah, that's but not a knife. I was too young to get in. Oh. And it was it was in the cinema in Penzance, and they just opened screen two, mm -hmm. so they converted the balcony yeah. into a second screen. Right. And so my dad was quite disappointed. I think that he couldn't take me in to see really it. Looking forward. Yeah, to he it. was really looking forward to it. And and um, so they said, "Oh, we've got a screen two now, so you could go and watch the film in there." And he said, "What is it?" And um, he said, "It's it's a film called The Mission." So we went and watched that, and it was just. 
I mean, re- loads yeah. more inappropriate. I, I was going to say, surely the the rating on the mission would have been higher than Crocodile Dundee, which is made no, for I, kids. I, I think that I think Crocodile Dundee was a fifteen. Oh, it was before the twelve and a half came in. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so. Okay. Um, and I think the mission must have been a PG. Wow! But you know the the, the image of the crucifixes going over the mm-hmm. yeah going over the uh, waterfall really <laughs> stayed with me. And I think that was the first film that I really saw that really kind of emotionally unsettled me. Mm. I remember seeing Cry Freedom as well. Actually, okay, I don't know that one. That's the Steve Biko story. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, um, you know, right, in apartheid South Africa. Yeah. You know, just being emotionally affected by films rather than it being a bit of an entertainment roller coaster ride. Yes, which The Goonies was, and which. Did you ever see Crocodile Dundee? Does it. Did you. Because after I've, you've seen The Mission, I don't know if you yeah, can. Yeah, I, I must have. Yeah, I did see Crocodile Dundee <laughs> later on, but I, I pr- it probably missed the sweet spot for me by mm. by then. You know, I'd seen The Mission and. Yeah. And my, and my eyes were open to the potential of cinema in terms yeah. of like changing the way you think about the world. Of course. That's not a crucifix. This is a crucifix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw a film, I saw Derek Jarman's film, The Garden mm. on TV. Okay. Yeah. And that was, that was the first time I really thought, wow, there's somebody behind the camera making a film. Right. You know, and he shows it, he shows himself filming. So it's a very, you know, the whole filmmaking process is kind of turned inside out. So yeah. that was, um, that was really eye-opening. Oh, it must have been. Um, Jill has just brought us both um, a, a cup of coffee and a tea. Um, Thank and you. That's really amazing. Really appreciate that, Jill. Thank you. <laughs> we are actually in BFI at the moment. We're in their green room where Mark is screening tonight, Ennis Main. And uh, yeah, it's a gorgeous green room, isn't it? I mean, I've it's been in there before. Mirrored ceiling. Like, yeah, mirrored ceiling. Oh my gosh, yeah, hi. <laughs> hi up there. Don't see many of them anymore. No, you don't. No, those <laughs> nightclubs of old, right? Yeah. Thank you, Jill. Appreciate that. That's very Thank cool. Thank you. Hey, Phil, how are you? How's it going? It's good. It's all going well, isn't it? It's going so well. Do you want to come and talk real quick well. to, to Mark? How's it been? It's been good and everybody said it's, it's there's so much sort of coverage you know and people are talking about it which is really difficult for me because obviously it's the only thing that's going on in my head but being on the bbc website in america today so all of my friends in america uh, uh, not that i've got lots but yeah so i've had um my mate chris has been in touch my mate matt has just been in touch saying it's on the you know as soon as you click on the bbc website in the states it's there so that's exciting and yeah, yeah. Very and the Mark Kerr mode. Oh, Mark Kerr mode. Yeah. Must feel great, though, for you guys to be a, a part of it as well. It's yeah. the best yeah. in the world. I just, well, <laughs> it's just been the best thing to do ever, as was Bates. We just mm. love working with Mark and Mary and Denzel, and mm. today's a big day. Actual and the, and the Hackney day. Picture House is selling. Selling, yeah, we've got Hackney Picture House. The screen last night was nuts in Glasgow. And that's the, that's the interesting thing. So you obviously would expect it to do really well in Cornwall and the, and the southwest, of course, but now it's doing really well in Edinburgh and Glasgow and Liverpool mm. and Newcastle yeah. and London. So The only place it didn't sell out on the tour was Newquay. Wow, really? Uh, yeah, but that was a, a huge, yeah. <laughs> like, like 300-seater okay. on at 5 o'clock on a Wednesday, and it nearly really? sold out. Right. Well, it was two-thirds full. Mm. Yeah, so that was... And it's really good. Yeah. It's so hard. But th- this is one of those films that it will bring the audiences out to. It's just, well, especially after the success of Bait as well. And then you're going into a film that's, it's a Mark Jenkins film. We know what we're, do you know what I mean? I feel yeah. like we know what we're coming to see. And I think that's why, what brings people out. Yeah. I think we've got to, you know, see what the word of mouth is like. It's already good. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's already good. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you think it would, be like that obviously bait was you know that great success did you you know when you when you were making any Smith and now i suppose like two weeks ago three weeks ago before the reviews were coming in did you have an inkling do you even think about these kind of things didn't think about it at all when we were making it because all the cinemas were closed and course, i didn't really yeah. know where it was going to end up at all mm. um and then it's just little incremental steps so getting into can was a massive thing yeah. and then in can then the gap between the screening and the reviews coming out is quite, quite tense. Yeah. And was a, you know, I walked out of the screening, the premiere, and most of the reviews, the, you know, a lot of the reviews had come out and they were good. Great. So that was another step. Mm. Um, 
you know, obviously having the film picked up by the BFI before Cannes mm. was a was a huge thing. Yep. And being able to announce that on the way to Cannes, wasn't it? We I think that got literally announced. shouting it out the window as you're driving to the premiere. We've been yeah. picked up by the BFI. Yeah. <laughs> we got yeah. it. Was there any talk of that beforehand, though? You know, because, like I say, Bait was that film that everyone was talking about in terms of it's a very BFI film. It feels very, you know, avant-garde, very different, very British in that sense of, you know, old-school filmmaking. Was there no talk of that before? Did you speak to the BFI in the first place about Ernest May? No, I don't think we did. No. Because of the pandemic, we were just out, in you know out on our own and geographically we're miles from here mm. so you know film four came in and financed it and then that was it really we didn't really think about where it, i mean actually denzel's producer was probably thinking about it all the time but he probably, wasn't yeah. hassling me with didn't it. tell you <laughs> no and, why would he yeah no and then you know it was um yeah it's difficult to remember because i just think of this now as just a bfi film and you know another bfi distributed film i can't imagine anybody else distributing it so it's difficult to remember pre you guys being involved really when we were at bristol uh rough trade event and you were telling us about it then and giving us a kind of preview oh yeah so that was kind of towards the end of the release cycle for bait in some ways when you know the blu-rays coming out one of the last sort of events that we did just before lockdown wasn't it yeah yeah, and you were sort of telling us a little bit of the story. Mm. I remember thinking, wow, oh my God, you know, sounds so great. And I think, and it's, you know, almost the same. I don't know how yeah. much the script changed. Not much. I mean, <clears throat> the thing is, distribution is something that I don't really have much input into to start with because it's, um, you know, the producers and we had protagonists as a sales agent. So mm. I was sort of out side the conversation but then when we got talking about it and I was being consulted about it it seemed just the film's made in the same way it's, it's the same sort of scale it's the same team um so by the time and you know the same crew same cast so it then when the distribution was sort of we were then considering it it just seemed like the logical thing to do and I and I sort of thought why didn't why weren't we thinking this before because right. it's like it's the same same from start to finish. Right. Yeah, because I thought that might be the conversation. Well, let's jump back a little bit then. You know, like, um, it's too late. <laughs> See you later. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining in. Um, yeah, with, with Denzel and, and yourself after bait and sort of going, um, how are we going to do the next one? And you mentioned there, obviously, it was in lockdown when you shot this. Was it a case of you just going, let's just go shoot this? Let's just, you knew what you wanted to make. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was... It, Exactly that, but it was before, it was a long time before COVID that we decided that. It was on the back of bait, I suppose. I, yeah, I was, there's always a big gap between when you finish the film and when the film's released. Always. Um, yeah. People are always so surprised by that. Yeah. I think, with people who aren't in film, they go, when did you shoot? And you say, oh, it was a year ago. People yeah, go, yeah. what? For yeah. us, that's like, that's quick in filmmaking yeah. terms. That's actually really quick, but people, there's so much. Yeah, there's a, there was always a massive gap between when you premiere it and when it comes out because yes. we premiered yeah. in May the 20th yeah. last year yeah. and now we're January the 13th and it is now finally coming out and that's not slow particularly no, that's normal we think about their they've got to fit it into gaps you know if they've got all these Marvel movies they've got these movies mm. it's they've already got the conveyor belt movie yeah there's only a few slots that you can release an independent film yeah. unless you in, like, in, unless you sort of put it into a sort of total suicide yeah slot and no it won't get any attention mm. so when yeah when we done bait I, I was speaking to denzel and we were we were thinking about what to do next and my agent matthew bates at sales screen as well is we always talk really closely about you know what's best for me next because it's quite a specific way that i work and i've mm. been offered a lot of stuff off the back of the relative success of bait and most of it was really flattering and hugely inappropriate in terms of scale and oh, right. control most of it okay. so we we kind of all agreed that the best thing to do was just get another film made as quickly as possible and not not rush it but just don't over don't overthink it do something same same budget same scale same team you know like i was just saying and 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 finance it privately was the original plan and really? denzel was kind of putting that together and then film four 
heard about it. And went, well, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It. Well, they they just called me in and said, "You want to, you know, what what are you doing next? Do you, we'd like to get involved." And mm. I said, "Well, actually, I I, I don't I, I don't need any help on this one. We're going to finance it privately and and let's talk for the next film." I love that power as well. Though. It's kind of <laughs> but, nice. But they but in in the end, you know, they said you you know we we can help without um compromising what you do mm. and it was ben um ben corin and yep. lauren dark at, mm. at film four and they just you know they were just amazing they just said we you know they made me realize that they or they reminded me that they knew how i worked mm. and that was the reason why they were in contact because they loved bait yep you know and they they weren't in the dark about how that was made and how much i kind of do and how many departments I'm across and all of that kind of stuff. So in the end they said, you know, it's, it's, we're quite flexible. We can put together a way of us financing this film, which means you won't give up a huge amount of control and which is easy to do when you're working on a, on a small budget. So me and Denzel took about, I don't know, three to five seconds to decide that we wanted to work with them. Mm -hmm. And then we were ready to go. And that, that was late 2019. Okay. I think. And then, you know, we were going to shoot spring 2020 and then we went into coronavirus. And so we were, we were just shut down before we'd started. Everything was in place, which was great. You know, we had all the assurances and the team was together and it was all cast and we were ready to go. And then we were shut down and it was the best possible time. If we were going to get stopped, it was the best possible time because we were set. You know, we were ready to go. We had the money, but we hadn't started spending the money. We hadn't started oh, shooting, I see. you know. Yeah, okay. So it was the perfect time Rather for than us. halfway through. Yeah. So then we just put a thing on hiatus for a, a year, really. And for six months, we didn't know whether it was going to happen. Okay. Um, but then after about six months, it became apparent that we'd be able to, probably be able to film it in spring 21. So then I picked the script up again and did a did a quick rewrite. Well, not a quick rewrite on it, quite a extensive rewrite on it oh so they're, therefore you're you're kind of happy now looking back that that was okay you'd rather have shot it i imagine but at the same time you then got to revisit a script yeah. well, which only, is always useful yeah we had forced distance mm -hmm. which is the, the one thing that's never designed in a filmmaking process never. you know you mm -hmm. start and every minute you can't put into a schedule right i'm gonna have six months where i leave it and come back to it i think you can you know in the writing process you can probably do that but not when you're that close to production and you certainly can't do it like in an edit go right we're going to finish the shoot and i'm going to just like do something else for six months then come back at it and objectively look at what we've got yeah. and create a better film out mm -hmm. of it which i think a lot of films would benefit from totally benefit from but I, yeah. you know and, and i say that and i i know i wouldn't be able to do it because i wouldn't be able to resist it would have to be taken away from me and locked in a room yeah, because otherwise yeah. you'd just start editing, you'd yeah, start yeah. composing, you'd start yeah, yeah. doing your thing. Yeah, Because you've got a really interesting way of working. You've mentioned it like a couple of times, your unique way. It'd be really interesting for our listeners, for you to go through that process a little bit, to talk about the why, you know, why shoot on film, why shoot it this way. I, the way I got into making films was I was doing a biology A-level when I'd finished school. I like where this is going. <laughs> and, I was, and I was totally crap at it. I was, yeah, of course. We I are. was all right. I think I was good enough to do the biology GCSE. It kind of went to my head and thought, right, I'm going to do a biology A-level. Right. And then within a few weeks, I, I was out of my depths. I didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. And I, I've got that sort of personality where I'll just, I won't say anything. Mm -hmm. I'll just pretend. Right. And then, but it became too much. And then what I did was, I started not going to the lessons okay. and I started hiding, hiding out in this sixth form college I was at in the photography dark room where my mate was studying photography. So I used to hang out in the dark room right. when I was supposed to be in my biology lesson. And my mate was printing black and white photographs and I started helping him out while I was there. Nice. And then one day the photography tutor said to me, he said, you're not on the photography course, eh? <laughs> I said, I said, no, I'm not. Right. He said, well, do you want to, do you want to join it? And by then I was really excited about photography. So I said, oh. yeah, I'll do it. And it was an A-level. And he said, well, you need to have done a GCSE. So we, so we, um, <laughs> he put me on this, 
on the GCSE, and I did the, I did that in about half the time, half a half mm. a year, yeah, right. like a term and a half or something. Wow. And um, I got a and I passed it, and I just and they were really complimentary of my photography, so that gave me yeah. such a big sort of um yeah. push towards doing photography and then I start, and then I did the photography A level in a in a year mm-hmm. and I used to do these photo stories yeah. where I take a series of stills that told a, st- a simple story like those at the back of the sun or whatever you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah but not with dear Deirdre <laughs> yeah yeah but not about affairs and things they were much more sort of pretentious and, sure sure and um and then the the other photography tutor said to me the you know You've, you're trying to reinvent film. Why don't you actually shoot 24 still images a second? Nice. And actually create some move, real movement with your stuff. And he lent me a Super 8 camera. Mm-hmm. And then I got some Super 8 film. And I started making short films on Super 8. Because that was, that was 1993. Right. So you could probably get a, like a VHS camera or mm-hmm. a video eight camera or yeah. something oh, nasty yeah oh. pretty grim video yeah. stuff but it was still kind of super eight so i actually first role i ever shot i came up to london it was such a special occasion i thought all right i'm gonna go up to the to the big city mm-hmm. and film up here and and actually while i was up here for that i came here to bfi which when it was the museum mm-hmm. here yeah and just got so into into film like you know the 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 soviet propaganda train carriage that they had here i remember sitting in that and watching a film in there oh yes yes and all of that and so oh my I, gosh that yeah. got me really ex- film got the materiality of film got me really interested in the art of film and i carried on making super eight films and i went to bournemouth and studied it mm-hmm. and did a production degree yes and um, started shooting on video then and then in the third year there so that would have been 1998 me and my mate Steve came, got the bus up from Bournemouth and came back to the museum again because they had, from what I can remember, the first mini DV camera was here on a plinth. And then, that, <laughs> and that was the sort of future. That was like, that was for us, it was like, that's, this is a cheap way of shooting. Yeah. Although it's not cheap, I realized afterwards, you have to spend a lot of money before it becomes cheap. Yes. Whereas shooting Super 8, you can get a camera for that almost nothing yeah. and the film cost some money so it's, it was a bit of it was clever marketing but I, then I started shooting video mm-hmm. mini DV which I loved shot loads of stuff on mini DV and then I just from then just followed the technology so then I started shooting things with DSLRs and then you know other higher end digital cameras and you know 20 years went past or whatever and then I just realized I wasn't enjoying it and for years i'd just been going through the motions i had a feature film that was in development hell Mm -hmm. which was being kind of developed as a commercial feature film shot in the standard way of the time so it would have been you know on a alexa or you know whatever yeah maybe yeah yeah, and i wasn't really excited by the form and everything like that and then then what happened was i had um i had to have a, a minor operation which was a bit of a surprise and I had to um, recuperate. So I couldn't, I had to lay on a sofa for a couple of weeks, which I did at, at, at my mum's house. And I had, I've told this story a lot of times, I had a box set of um, Mark Cousins' story of film yeah. D, uh, DVDs, 15 hour long mm-hmm. documentary. And so I was laid up on the sofa and I thought, well, this is the time when I've, can give it all of my attention and I'll watch it and I watched it through twice and then wow. and then I was like this is um you might be the only person in the world who's done that by the way I've watched it f- I reckon I've watched the whole thing five or six seven times now. probably but not twice in a row like no 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 I did I did because when, oh, when I was hand processing the the negative negative of bait I had right. it on in the studio I watched the whole I watched it all through oh, twice wow. so that was that and that was really inspirational because I listened to him and just the enthusiasm and the passion. And I thought, laying there on the sofa at my mum's, I thought, I used to be, I couldn't articulate it like him, but I used to be that excited about 
film. And I thought, when did I lose that excitement? And I couldn't work out when it was. So what I did is I went back and bought a Super 8 camera. Nice. Um, retraced my steps, really. And went, well, I used to be really excited about the Super 8 cameras. So I bought a Super 8 camera and a roll of film. And that was it. I was sort of off again. But the world had changed because the labs had closed. So you couldn't get Super 8 easily processed at that point yeah it's just specialist places right yeah probably not many down near you either no no and it was expensive and so what i so i thought well like i hand process my own stills so why don't if i shoot super 8 black and white i can probably hand process my own super 8 so i started hand processing it as well so i really engaged with it at that point love it and i sort of and then i started making short films on super 8 and they they ended up being in festivals and they ended up being in sort of like the experimental strands of festivals Mm -hmm. because they were shot on film even though they were narrative or nominally narrative films and i picked up a few awards and people were very interested in what i was doing with film so at the same time as as the shorts being shot on film i then looked at this stuff that i had in development hell Mm -hmm. and thought why don't i use this filmmaking formal filmmaking approach to give a bit of energy to these projects that i've had in in Stacy's for so long mm. and and bait was the one that ended up yeah you know, I, I made a film called bronco's house beforehand which is 44 minutes long to uh, sort of test the concept and sure. then and then we went with bait we kind of rebranded bait as because uh, it was called shooting the string originally well it was called the holiday park originally and oh, then wow. it was called the suicide string and then it was called shooting the string and it was a found footage film and then when i decided to that I would use this new, new, old, formal, formalist approach. Um, I renamed it Bait, and we we made it as it is. But it all goes back to it. Really does go back to that moment with um, hearing Mark Cousins and thinking, I want to go back to that. I was with him two nights ago in in Edinburgh. He came along to see. You told name. him obviously this. Story. Yeah, I told yeah, him when I first met him in Edinburgh when I when I was there with with Bait. But we met up again the other night, and you know, and he's still just. He's just, he's still got that enthusiasm and, you know, and it's really contagious. And so it was really nice to sort of, yeah, be on that way. To see him again. Yeah. Yeah, With other people. I've never shot on film and it's something that I really want to do. Even hearing you talk and I've I've watched some of the Mark uh, Cousins documentaries. I've not watched the 15 hour one, but I, 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 there's something amazing about film and what I like about digital is I'm a bit of a, a, an actor's director, you know, that word, whether I'm or not, that's what I like to be. I like to take time. I like to play. And I've always wanted to know, obviously, when you're shooting on film is, and maybe I'm wrong, but you've got that window where you're going, look, with films turning, we haven't got time for you to run in and go, hey, just take your time, okay? I want you to go, because the film's turning. Mm. Whereas on digital, I can do that. Mm-hmm. I can spend time doing that and going, no, just keep it rolling because everyone's quiet and still and the smoke's perfect right now. You can do it, but on film, it's... That sounds like my absolute idea of hell really yeah. isn't that amazing yeah, completely because uh, yeah. mostly because i think i would get in the edit and go right i've got all of this stuff all of this footage and for me all of my decisions are made on the shoot you know most of the edit decisions are made while i'm shooting mm. and it has to be then because that's when all the everybody's sort of creative energy is focused during the shoot and it dissipates in well it it goes in post because i don't have all those collaborators with me so i like to make those decisions they're ultimately my decisions but i draw on everybody else's what everybody else is thinking and doing and so a lot of the time there's only one way that i can edit a scene in the edit because of the way it's shot because i decided how it was going to be edited while we were shooting and if there isn't a way that it's going to work then that's when it go when when i really re restructure it in the edit so my films will always be a combination of scenes that look exactly how i imagined they were going to be when i was shooting them or bear no resemblance at all to how i imagined they were going to be during the shoot but i think you know yeah i i do have that period of play 
rehearsal time right yeah, yeah not when the camera's rolling everyone's quiet and no everyone's Ill. no because there's something magical about that moment i just described there's something so wonderful when everyone's just still and one can move and everyone's told to be quiet and all mm. the doors are shut and it's just you and the actor and you can just play and it's just you and the camera person and you can just play and you've got this honestly it makes me feel so alive in those moments because yeah. that's my time yeah and it's so interesting how we're both in the medium of films but you're actually shooting on film do you know what i mean but it's a different thought process but we're both getting to the end result. Yeah, and I, and I think you know what I, I couldn't I couldn't make I couldn't make realism. You know I couldn't do realism. Yes, in the way I work. Yeah, that's true. And so I think if if I was making if I if I wanted sort of naturalistic performances and and that kind of thing, then I would probably have to change the way that I work. But luckily, I'm not interested in realism. So you're fine. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it works so well, because you are a different voice. That's it's powerful. It's like that's your niche. Whereas I'm just an, another another filmmaker, a handful of thousands of us all doing that similar thing on digital. We're all trying to make the thing. What interesting for me as well is I can make a totally different film in the edit. Whereas you said you can't. And I like that. I, I can, but it's it's totally different so like i said there'll be scenes within i'm trying to think of an example within ennis main which is completely different to the script and i and i can't at the moment i'm a bit still a bit too close to it but <laughs> but like i know in yeah. bait for example the scene where the younger um fisherman yeah. has the fight and falls off the key sure. i really bodged the shooting of that you know we it was it was dark when we were shooting that and we had to light the close-ups for daylight. We were so, I say we, I was just about to say we were so disorganized. It's nobody's responsibility other than mine. Cause effectively it's an action Bit. set piece yeah. Yeah. that I didn't plan. And so then I had to plan on the hoof while we were filming it. Uh, and I didn't get all of the pieces of the jigsaw that I needed in the edit to put it together how I imagined it. Which and it's need. because I hadn't imagined it in enough detail. So then when I got into the edit, I had to create something that was completely different. But I did it not out... I think the difference is I didn't do it out of choice. I did it out of necessity. Right. So you can choose how... You know, if you have all of this coverage and mm. all of these, you know, lots of footage, then you've got choice. Correct. Yeah. I've got... I'm put in a position where it's like... Um, right, this scene doesn't work. I've got to work out a way of salvaging it. Mm -hmm. Same in bait with the another sort of fight scene where the, the young girl, the character of Wenna, headbutts the second homeowner mm -hmm. and then throws the pool ball at the car. There's no geography shots in that. Mm -hmm. There's only close-ups of action and reaction. And then there's almost random cutaways yeah. to stuff yeah. again totally misplanned oh. how to do it that when you're after that moment <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite scene in the film there you go and the only thing that salvaged it was that i think it's like about 17 shots or something and i needed one more shot for a, a pause yeah there needed to be a pause and the scene didn't work without the pause and i needed a shot and I couldn't think what it was. I didn't want to cut away to something that wasn't in the scene, which quite often I do. I didn't mm -hmm. want to flash forward or flash back at that point because it would have, it would have been the tension was building, and it would have been it would have broken that. And so Ed's, I, I, I shot a scene of um, Ed's character, Martin Ed the Fisherman. Yeah, yeah Ed wrote. He's holding a crowbar because he's been trying to break the wheel clamp off. And I thought actually, if I just have a shot of him of the crowbar hitting the ground as if he's dropped it. So you don't see him drop it, you just see the crowbar hit the ground. Mm -hmm. I filmed that out out the back of, in our backyard yeah. while we were, while I was in the edit. And I was operating the camera. Mm -hmm. I was holding, from what I can remember, I was holding the a light. <laughs> and I think I was sort of holding the light in my mouth, in my teeth. <laughs> And I leant round the front of the camera yeah. with the crowbar and ran, ran the camera at sort of 54 frames a second, whatever the fastest frame rate on the camera is, mm -hmm. so that I made sure that I captured that moment. I did two takes of it hitting the ground, yeah. put a massive sound effect on it mm -hmm. in the edit, and suddenly that scene worked. And that was the piece of the jigsaw. 
There's another scene, with the, the, the scene where Neil, the young fisherman, falls off the quay. There's a moment of tension in that, that Georgia, there's a close-up of Georgia Ellery mm-hmm. that I found where she just does this look with her eyes and that saved that scene, mm-hmm. you know? And was it taken from a different part of the film? Or no, was it, it was taken from then, but I didn't, re- I didn't notice her do it when we were shooting and it's a big close-up, so normally I kind of remember, and I've only got one take of most things anyway, so really? I do remember the takes. Wow, wow. And um, <laughs> You're not worried about it getting corrupt or some... No, I, 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 I'll normally do a safety. Yeah. But it'll be a technical safety, so it won't be any different. So yeah, that's it. That's, but it's, I mean, it's pointless really, because I always do that safety directly after that, the first one. So if that role is knackered, then they're both the going to be knackered. Anyway. Yeah. Whereas digital, it's, it's usually each, I'll say take, uh, for the lack of a better word yeah. right now. Then if you stop that take, that bit could be, be corrupt, safe, but yeah. the rest of it will be safe. Yes. But what I find is, because I'll turn over way before I say action because there's someone saying, get the smoke ready, just tweak those lights. But I've already yeah. turned over. And they're the moments on my actors when they're preparing, they're finding a moment, they're just yeah. getting in character that I will use because it'll be an eye look or a look away. And it'll be so natural. Yeah. They're the bits I often use in the end film. Yeah. There's a bit in Ennis Main like that, actually, where uh, the people have mentioned, Mark Kermode was talking about this the other day with, with me when we were recording a, a Q&A. And he said there's a bit where... Mary's character sings along to the song in the in the kitchen from that's playing on the radio, and even Mary sort of remembers it as singing along to the song. But it, it it's not how it happened because I didn't know there was going to be music playing in that scene when we did it, and actually she's saying something to me out of character. I think she says like "okay" or something because mm-hmm. I've said in, I've I've said "cut" and she said "okay." And because I don't record any location sound, I put the the song over the top of it. Actually, if I line that up, she could sing the end of one of the lines of the song because it's the first time we hear, hear her voice in the film. So I yes. thought that'd be quite nice. So I do, yeah, I, I do that. Some I sometimes have instances of that. But I'm the opposite of you. I'll call action before I run the camera because I don't need any pre-roll for sync or anything no. you know because I'm not recording sound so every foot is is um is really important and really valuable ooh what's that it's music in the middle of the podcast can only mean one thing it's sponsorship time we are delighted to be sponsored by Q Scripts uh, it's a script analysis service annual membership package costs only £60 a year. It includes monthly webinar and Q&A sessions with industry professionals, including commission writers, producers and directors. You get a discount on all services offered by Q Scripts and access to a 36-page quarterly industry magazine brimming with useful content, industry insights and interviews with writers, plus free entry into the monthly prize draw with a chance to win a free detailed script report. Check out qscripts.com. Link for ease. To make it easier for you so don't have to type it in is in the show notes. Just scroll down, click on it. There it is. qscripts.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. How much rehearsal do you do then? Do you, you obviously rehearse before you get to set as well? and then No. So it's all when you're in location? Yeah. In character, no, I don't see costume. the point of re- rehearsing... Okay. Um, when you're not in set, because it's, it's different. It is you're right. World. Rehearsing in this room now, and yeah. then going to set, it's yeah. you're a different mindset. We're not wearing the right clothes. Yeah. different feel. And also, I'm sure, in, and and like things like table reads and stuff. I've never done a table read because I don't. And the dialogue's not important. When it, I mean, it is hugely important, but it's not important to. I don't want to over rehearse the the dialogue, you know. And a lot of the dialogue is is functional. There'll be moments where the dialogue is really important. There is sort of uh, very important lines of dialogue in Ennis Main when in the scene where there's the real human interaction that that's really important. 
and in instances like that, I'll allow the I won't allow it. I'll let the actors lead it. You know, if they want to block it through, mm-hmm. if they want to rehearse it, then we'll make time for them to do it because they're you know they're the most important people. They're the people that are sort of emotionally vulnerable in those moments and kind of exposing themselves. So I'll let them lead it. But then again, they everybody I work with kind of knows how I work. Sure. So and then and they know they'll get they can refine things when they come and revoice it or when they come and voice yes stuff so yeah i'm not i'm not big into i don't insist on rehearsal for the mm-hmm. sake of it if the actors want to mm-hmm. want to rehearse it yeah stunts i suppose you must you, obviously for safety to block through or moments of heightened drama or yeah well i mean the, the stunts in ennis main mm-hmm. I just hand it over to a stunt coordinator. Okay. So, Fine. I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's his fault then if it goes wrong or her fault. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, his, and it's his people, you know, he brings in. Of course, the, the stunt, safety. The, the stunt stunts. in Ennis yeah. was performed by a stunt woman. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I take a back seat because it's, it's all about safety. Mm-hmm. And it, and they know what they're doing. That's the thing. Oh, That's God. their job. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. And, they're, and they're the, yeah, and I mean, you know, when we did that stunt, I didn't call action or anything. It was all done by the stunt coordinator, and it was a stunt coordinator working with the production designer and the stunt woman, and that was really it. You know, it was the stunt woman, the stunt coordinator, and Joe, um, Joe Gray, the production designer, who was who made the glass roof that the stunt woman had to fall through, and that was it. You just stand back and you go, right, well, just when you need me, give me a shout, but. You're, you're the experts and yeah, you know, it's it. a technical exercise. It's yes. not, it's not something, yeah. you know, and, and, this, and, and it's got to be led by the person who's in charge of the well-being of the people involved. Mm-hmm. So. Agreed. And then, I mean, there's other moments, there's a sort of more action moments where there aren't stunts, but we'll need a tech, a lot of technical blocking and stuff like that. And then there'll be more, more time to kind of, you know, make sure that they're going to work. Yes. How many, people do you normally have on set then because it's very little you know in terms of do you record any sound anyway do you record anything when no. you're there nothing at all no. so there's nothing there's no one there with a separate sound kit no okay so you've got your production designer two production designers two okay yeah is one of them doing art is one of them resetting like props um we all sort of all the, on the crew all of the roles are overlapped yeah. so they kind of um joe and may they work Together, together doing um, it right. Yeah. So how many of you in total, most days? Um, 12, probably. 12. Yeah. Okay. And then some days a lot less. Right. Some days more. You know, if we had... The days when we had the groups of extras in, we'd have a bigger costume and makeup department mm-hmm. come in. But... And then some... I mean, maybe... 10, 15... No, 20% of the running time of the film might even just be me going out sort of a secondary shoot to pick up a lot of the flora and the fauna stuff and the shots of the sea and all that kind of stuff and that would have that would have just been me right so how many days was Ennis main shot for then 21 21 okay yeah. so talk us through an average day maybe there's a there's a couple of scenes there's a couple of actors talk us through how you work from the beginning of the day um, well, on Ennis Main, we started, we, we shot it during the second lockdown, the mm. end of the second lockdown. So we, we were very restricted. We, we didn't meet up really before the shoot, didn't have production meetings or anything. Um, we had a few location visits to the exterior locations. Um, and we shot all of the cottage interiors first. Okay. And we had five or six days to get all of that done. Yeah which was a huge amount of work. Mm-hmm. There was a lot in there. And yeah, I think so I think we shot a third of the film in the first 6 days. Wow, okay. And then we moved outside and right. then we obviously slowed down a lot because we, we were outside because there's just, you know, travel and logistics and weather and, and yeah. yeah, and and all of that. Um so I don't I don't know if there is an an average day what do you like to do when you first get to set then? Do you all turn up together? Is it that kind of thing? Is it is obviously you're shooting in the middle of nowhere. So I can't imagine. No, we're shooting got... in the centre of the universe. <laughs> it is the centre <laughs> of the universe and it's beautiful. But it's minimal. Yeah. We've got a sort of 
transit van mm-hmm. size van for the lights i drive a small hatchback car that has the camera kit in the back and a wheelbarrow that's what i take every all of my kit is taken around in the wheelbarrow um production design the production the design team have a a big long wheelbase van and that's it yeah i mean there's no trailers there's nothing like that there's a denzel the producer owns a selection of easy ups gazebos which is our production base um and that's it really Mm -hmm. you know we have Andy's Lose, which is the... Yeah, Andy's Lose, I've used those yeah. guys. <laughs> so they're always there the day before us dropping right. the toilets off. And then yeah. and then that's really it. And we use caterers who come in, carers catering came in and with a with a big Range Rover with right. a hot plate on the back. Yeah. And would they would come in, or they, yeah, used to come, they would come in for, give us a hot breakfast and leave us with a cold lunch. Yep. And then they would turn up again at the end of the day with a hot dinner. Yeah. And they would come and find us wherever wherever we were. So it's yeah, there's no there's no luxury, there's no home comforts mm-hmm. really. And quite often I mean some days we had this freaky weather on Ennismain where we didn't have a single drop of rain for the whole shoot, which is unheard of in Cornwall in March and April. Yeah. But I think we did a deal with the devil which meant it didn't rain, but what we did get is this huge wind blowing all the time, which was visually brilliant. The whole place looks alive, yeah. but it's quite draining shooting in that wind. And sometimes we would go back, you know, we, we we would be there for breakfast at the unit base, and then we would go down the cliff and be filming for five hours or whatever, and then we'd walk back up for dinner, and we'd go, where's the, where's the unit base? <laughs> And it will. It, they just had to pack it up because it would. It was all getting blown away, and then we'd sit and eat in sit in cars and eat, and then go back again. So I think anybody, I think people, even people who make very low budget films, would be quite surprised at what we look like when we're shooting. We're pretty invisible, partly because there's no sound department, so we don't make great demands on the people. We can go in and not piss off. The residents, because we don't stop people from doing anything. We know we work around people. We're very aware that we're guests in locations, and so we don't stop anybody from from doing anything unless it's absolutely essential. Then we might ask people to, you know, just hang back for a minute. But we certainly don't have to wait for you know audio and stuff like that. So, which is usually one of the biggest issues: the plane going overhead, the noise, a bang over someone's line, and you do it again. And actually. We all know now we can do this in post. Yeah. It's so important to get the best sound you can on set. But, you know, when you shoot The best way, sound on set but, is nothing. Yeah. Just don't get any. Just don't get yeah, right? <laughs> it works for you. Yeah. I know. And I, I am, I'm being like flippant saying that. But I, I do, for me, going into the edit mm. with total silence is a brilliant starting point. Rather than, Gosh, having, yeah. rather than having imperfect sound that you have to start mending. That's so interesting. It's the start of a creative I, process. I find that a bit depressing yeah you're so right because there's nothing worse than going oh because you can just hear the sound of shuffling and noise and yeah stuff like that and you have well to... especially with us we, we, we were oh trying to gosh, we were trying it? to portray an abandoned uninhabited island yeah. we didn't sh- we didn't shoot the film on an island we shot the film on, on moorland in in west penwith but it's noisy mm-hmm. you know there's we the the cottage that we filmed the exterior of the cottage yeah. has got a farm right next to it right and wow Visually, we just frame the farm out and suddenly it's a cottage that isn't next to a farm anymore Mm -hmm. and used big bits of gorse to hide certain things that gave the impression, you know, that gave away the fact that it was part of a working farm. But you can't frame out audio on on a tiny budget. Can't. so you just like, don't record any and and do you know what you're saying about going into the edit and just because then you can go well i know i can put sound there i can do this and you can build from silence yeah which and, and sometimes you can create it sometimes the the idea of creating naturalistic sound from scratch is then so much work mm-hmm. that then i think actually can i do something else that mean i don't have to try i don't have to do all of this sound work that Nobody will ever notice because they'll just think it's natural sound. Yes. Maybe there's something else I can do that will be less work mm-hmm. and actually work better, you know. Because make... low-budget film, you know what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Sound is 
sound is more than 50% on low budget film because it's a much cheaper part of the process yes. than doing the picture. Yes. So yeah. I like to embrace the sort of possibilities of, of that. Yeah. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's scratched down so at least you'd have some, I don't know, but that'd be interesting to see what you come up with for sure. Mm. Absolutely for sure. Do you do, before we wrap up, do you do any, obviously you go through in detail and you edit you sort of editing as you go, but you're also thinking about that. Do you do shot lists? Do you go through yeah. this? Is so you plan it almost to an inch. Yeah, yeah. Life. There's got to be a shot list because it has to be a very detailed plan for the day. Mm. So yeah, that. But then the shot list will change, of course, because you go to a location and the light will be in a different place to where it was before. And suddenly you go, actually, that bit doesn't work anymore. But this bit looks amazing. And also, you get you get to that point of the day where you you go, right, we got two hours left. And we've got 11 setups to do. Mm -hmm. Let's try and get it to seven setups. Can we tell the scene? Because for me, it's all about simplicity. Just simplify it, simplify it. Remove things, remove things. Can we do this scene in seven shots rather than 11 shots? Actually, now we've got it to seven. Can we get it to six? Sure. Can we get it it to five? You know, I never go to one. I don't want like a a wide, you know, as you can see from my work, I don't really like wide shots like that. Colin Holt, who who works on the camera with me, he he he's he worked for a long time in sort of re- regional news gathering, where he'd have to tell a story visually in a certain amount of shots. So he's great, you know. Say right, should we? Can we get this down to five shots? This scene, you know, because we've got an hour. Yeah. So actually, if we say ten minutes a shot. We could get six shots, but, you know, we'll, we'll run over a little bit. So let's tr- try and get us in five shots. And I love all of that, you know, just simplifying and simplifying and simplifying. So, yeah, it does it does change. But I wouldn't be able to sleep if I didn't have a shot list for the next day mm-hmm. when I went to bed, even if it was just nonsense. Yeah, but it's your <laughs> nonsense and it's in your head. Yeah, and there's nothing it's, it's worse like than, the safety net. Yes, yeah, the safety net. There's nothing worse than being on set and suddenly going, oh, God, what's next? What am I supposed to do? There's yeah, nothing yeah. worse. It's, no, no. Because you you've got all those people waiting for you to make a decision yeah. and to say something. Say something. Yeah, so yeah. you've got to have something written down that morning. Yeah, I agree. So you um, don't have a first AD then? You kind of do it yourself? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you do. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Right. First AD, or I work with Callum, who okay. is a writer. You know, he he would never first AD. Well, he hasn't. I don't think first AD, ever first AD for anybody else. You know, right. so we work in the roles are quite unconventional in 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 our films. But he's great because he is very organised. He's very diligent, but he's also very sort of sympathetic to the way that I work mm. so and he knows me very well we're very good friends so um yeah he's 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 great great I suppose uh having teamwork is vitally important for you then and that team you carrying on and you're going to carry on with I take it to the next one yeah I mean we, we there's discussions to be had about because we're going to have a lot more budget on the next film great so we need to there might be some restructuring that needs to be done but that will be done in consultation with the team because it will be sort of financial considerations as much as anything so it's talking to people and saying actually you know do you want to carry on doing this role and be responsible for this part of the budget or would you prefer to work within a you know yes but it's it's i mean the people that i work with are absolutely indispensable and at the moment I'm on this tour and all the attention is on the film and on me mm-hmm. because I'm the one touring with it. Hopefully tonight, now that Mary is with me, yep. she'll quite rightly get a lot of the attention over the next few screenings. Quite rightly. She's amazing in the film. But I didn't make this film on my own and, you know, and I didn't, and it wasn't me and Mary who made this film. I, I do a lot on my films, but I have a, a small, brilliant team of collaborators who, who, because of where we are and because of how people have learnt by doing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and away from the main conventional workflows of the industry, have created incredibly unique ways of working. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't make any of my work without those people. But they rarely get, well, like most films, you know, the director gets all the attention. Yep. But I think in... In my case, quite often, some people almost think that I do 
everything <laughs> and i and i really don't yeah it's all about teamwork mark this has been amazing thank you so much it's a pleasure so there we have it you can go out and make your film on whatever camera you have in your hand whether it's a mini dv whether it's a 16 millimeter film camera or your iphone you can go do it and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well as mark jenkin has done it is your responsibility to send the elevator back down ennis main is in cinemas now go watch it stunning piece of work and the cinematic dna of ennis main uh the season created by mark jenkin runs at the bfi south bank until the 31st of january uh and the selected films are mark jenkins short collection is available on bfi player now uh it will be released on blu-ray and dvd on the 1st of may Mark, thank you so much. Thank you. What it's been a great joy. to chat. Yeah, really great. Good cool. luck with this. This is so exciting that this is this is another one of your films that literally celebrates what you do and puts your voice and your team's voice out there even more. So, thank you. Best of luck with this. Thanks a lot. Before you go, if you enjoyed listening to us today, please consider supporting the podcast on Patreon. 